around the world today and I see a bunch of chaos going on and I, and I would love for some guy in a yoke to show up and tell me what is exactly going to happen so I could quit wondering what to listen to. Hello, this is the Adventure Through the Bible podcast. My name is Matt. Joining us today, we've got Tracy. Good morning. And Eric. Good morning. And Karen. Hello. All of our favorite people. (laughs) (laughs) At least our favorite people on the podcast. And I'm here too. (laughs) Maybe I'm not a favorite. Nobody nobody is uh, denying that. You're our biggest leader, Matt. We couldn't do it without you. <laughs> well, you probably could. You're behind the soundboard there. <laughs> you probably... Okay, let me rephrase. We wouldn't do it behind, without you. Okay, that's that's probably fair. That's probably fair. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you guys show a pretty good dedication to the to everything, which I think is pretty awesome. So, um, yeah. Anyway, we've been we've just been chatting here a little bit this morning before we get started, and uh, you know, ch- talking about. New beginnings and stuff. We've got uh, Tracy and I have a new pastor in our church, and Karen's got uh, a, a a new church, and and uh, you know there, there's just new things happening all the time. And of course, we're always hoping that that uh, you find that renewal, and that you find that spirit that you need to um, glorify God, because that's what it's all about is glorifying God. But, uh, we're hoping that the the podcast here is is doing that for you, our listeners, that. Everything we say here is helping you to grow closer to him, to understand him better, to uh, and to understand our role with him better. Uh, as Tracy is fond of saying, you know, putting the self aside, and uh, you know, we're 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 always looking at doing things the way God wants us to do it, and not the way necessarily we think is good, right? Because as we've seen through all of the uh, through this history of Israel and stuff, that doing stuff your own way. It just doesn't work. This does not work. It's and almost like the Bible is correct when it says that over and over and over. It's fascinating. It's amazing, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and that has that, you know, that really kind of brings us into the context of our discussion. We're in the book of Jeremiah. We're going to be studying chapters 27 through 31. And our context here, of course, if you've been following along, is that the nation of Israel just hasn't been doing well because everybody keeps doing things wrong. They keep doing, you know, they keep going to idols. They keep going to what they want to do. They keep, uh, you know, it's, it's been very much, it seems just a lot of, well, we're going to, we're going to do what we want to do. And we're going to try to, uh, some of them are like, we're going to try to worship God, but we're not going to do it the way he asks us to do it from from the readings we've had it's like the just the general spirit of the nation of israel has just been going downhill ever since the exodus that was going to be my that was going to be my interjection here is that you know when we get up here and we say that okay so they're they're doing the same things it seems like they're repeating the same errors and not following the lord and doing what they want to do but as i was kind of reflecting on it this week here in the last few weeks we've noticed that now it's hard to say, but God is all business now. Gone is the being lenient and giving chances and and kind of reminding them of their past. Even though he's still doing that, the punishment is becoming harsher now. And And looking at that, not to jump too far forward, but in my immediate recollection, I can't remember where 
the children of Israel, besides the Exodus, were removed from where they lived and where they had built their temple and and where they had come to, you know, start to form a nation. Now, when Nebuchadnezzar comes, it's, you know, you lost that and you're going to go back. Basically, let's just call it exile again. This is serious. You're losing your, your home, your lands. There's not much more we can, I can, well, there's a lot more God could do as, as a nation, but now it's serious and it's like you're being displaced. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I kind of had that same impression when I was reading through it this week. I was like, I kept noticing like all of those if then, like that's a that's an observation that Eric has made a number of times throughout, you know, reading the scriptures. There's, there's a lot of prophecies that are if then. It's like this isn't an absolute. This isn't a, there's no way to get away from this. This is an if then statement. And in this case, like we're past that. It's going to happen. Mm-hmm. There's no more. Uh, you know, another chance, another chance, another chance. You know, even to the point of don't pray about it because it's it's coming. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's been one of the big things that has stuck out to me so much, like that, that that don't pray about it part. I know we've talked about that here. It's, you know, if God actually tells you don't, don't pray for this intervention, don't, you know, don't pray for the well-being of certain people. That is, that is, I mean, that hits you like a ton of bricks because, you know, we have read, everything we have read has been God, you know, saying, come back, come back, come back. And, and, and now he's like, well, you're not going to come back. So, um, there's nothing I, I mean, can do. It's in 70 years after the. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What do you guys think of this yoke? He tells Jeremiah to make a yoke and go deliver. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's where we we're at here. Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah is told by God to make a yoke. Now, if you don't know what a yoke is, we're not talking uh, uh, like a yoke of an egg. We're talking like you would put on a couple of large uh, work animals like um, uh, cattle to pull a plow. And it's a big piece of wood that holds, it essentially puts the two necks together so that if one moves, the other one has to move. Yeah. You know? and, and it's burdensome. It's a burden. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's on a burden on yourself. It's big, it's heavy. Uh, the implication here is of it being a yoke is that you're not you're not free. Mm-hmm. You are under um, I don't I I'm not sure what you're the word I want to use here, a bondage, an oppression, um, activity, servitude, yeah, something. Yeah. And so God tells Jeremiah, make this yoke, wear them and wear it. You know, it says a, a yoke and bonds is the way the New King James puts it. So it's very clear that this is, is this is a, a picture that God is trying to get out there. <laughs> I mean, could you imagine seeing some nutty prophet <laughs> walking around the town wearing a yoke around his neck? And, well, wouldn't that get your attention? Oh, that's the point. Yeah, yeah, that's absolutely the point. You know, I always wonder when you read these things, it's like, well, would I be one of the people who would pay attention to the positive? Or would I just look at that guy and go, what in the world is he doing? You know? Because, I mean, you know, a, a similar thing I can think of around here these days is some people who take literally the notion of take up your cross and you'll see them walking down the street with a cross over their shoulder. And and this is like their way of witnessing, you know, and a lot of times, even though as a Christian, you look at him, you go, what's it? I mean, I, I kind of get it, but what's he doing? You know, and so it's it's not always easy to take it with a positivity sometimes you just look at them like well that's a little that's a little weird that's exactly what i had in my notes too is that 
the you know individuals carrying around the cross with the little wheels on the the bottom mm-hmm. it's still well you know kind of where they're going it it is it's an eye catcher mm-hmm. it's going to make you question what's going on right uh coming from my line of work in community mental health i would probably be most likely to you know sort of slide up to him and very gently inquire if he had remembered to take his meds today <laughs> yeah yes there's nothing normal about this no. you know this is not something you generally see people walking around doing you know this isn't a wwjd t-shirt this is a this is a <laughs> guy with a huge hunk of wood around his neck and it's just kind of it's just kind of nutty so he's supposed to put this on and show up and deliver a message from god which he mm-hmm. does mm-hmm. yeah so the the message here and i, I guess it, even the message itself doesn't come through from him, it seems like it goes through some messengers, but it's a reminder that God has is the one who made the earth. He's the one who who has made the human beings and all the animals, and he's the one who's given them the land, and because it seemed like the right thing to God. And he says, "Now I'm going to give it to Nebuchadnezzar." And interestingly, my he servant, says, "My servant, Nebuchadnezzar, yep. the king of, yeah, right." Yep. Yeah, that's that came out to me too, and that's not the first time that that we've read that. I think. I think last yes, I had that in my notes too. That that God uses other nations to teach them what they need to learn. We've seen mm-hmm. it throughout the time, but that's what I highlighted. It was like, you know what, my servant, yes, because he's using Nebuchadnezzar as a like a form of judgment or refinement for his people. Yeah, and he says anybody who won't put themselves under Nebuchadnezzar's yoke is going to be punished. Yep. And, he says and, that that's like the recurring theme is like when Nebuchadnezzar shows up, you go with him and you live. Yep. Yeah. And you yeah. work for the you work for the prosperity of your captors because when they prosper, you prosper. And you just continue on your life because you're gonna be there for 70 years. Like he lays it right out. Yeah. I don't and know. That, I look around the world today and I see a bunch of chaos going on and I and I would love for some guy in a yoke to show up and tell me what is exactly gonna happen. So I could quit wondering what to listen to, you know. Mm. <laughs> well, next time you see some nutty guy on the side of the road there, Karen, just yeah, walk up. Hey, what's God say? And, you know, well, first ask him if he's taking his meds like you inquired first. Right. Meds, <laughs> was it? Did you start your day with meds or meth? Which one was it? Oh, oh, oh gosh. Yeah. But yeah, I'm going to rile up our 10 viewers right now. He's <laughs> back, Karen. He's back. <laughs> right. But he's reminding them, don't this. Oh, you know, this this is the part that would make this so hard to me because he says, don't listen to the prophets. Now, we know looking back that he's talking about false prophets because we're looking at it. We know that Babylon is coming in. We know that 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 Judah is going to be is going to be taken away for 70 years. It, It would be so hard, I think to be hearing quote unquote prophets saying things are great. And then hear this one guy, I guess it's really not been one guy because we've been talking about several prophets here who have had this other message of you're going to, you're going to be taken away. If you stick around here, it's going to be bad for you. You know, um, it, it, boy, it would be hard. I think it would, it would be tough for me to know right offhand who to listen to. Well, it's he doesn't quite say don't listen to your 
prophets. He says, do not listen to your prophets, your diviners, your interpreters of dreams, your mediums or your sorcerers, right? Mm -hmm. So that's quite a list of no-nos all in one place. Do not listen to your, those people who tell you, you will not serve the king of Babylon. They prophesy lies to you, Mm -hmm. right? So it's not, yeah, he's, he's pretty specific here. Like he just puts it right out there. Like, here's the truth. You should ignore anything else. If you listen to it, you will die. If you mm-hmm. go with captors, you will live. You will be in captivity, but you will live and you will come back. Mm-hmm. But I think it's also like what we you know, said in the past and you alluded to it this morning is it's that preservation of self. And it's like you need to go. You need to learn your lesson. You need to, to serve another king at this point. And you're going to have to lay down your patriotism, your nationalism at this point, and almost like self to be able to do that. And I think that with any kind of country that's that's declining, you know, you still have that sense of maybe self-pride and like, oh, no, I'm not going to do that. We can persevere and we can continue to go on. And he's saying, no, this is a lesson that has to be learned. So if I were a chosen one of Israel, right, if I had that perspective on my life, the, the part that I think would upset me the most is him calling this Babylonian king his servant. Yeah. yeah. Almost like a pecking order. Now we're mm-hmm. not we're not his people. Somebody else is. Well, not so much maybe not his people, but we're not favored like we were. Yeah. You know, I, I think that's a thing that people... I, I know that I struggle with, with that concept from time to time of leaders who are... They just... That the appearance would be that they are serving counter to the kingdom of God, mm-hmm. you know. And, and historically, they have been. They've they've been the bad guy in a lot of earthly stories for mm-hmm. a long time. And mm-hmm. yet, all of a sudden, here comes God, and He says, "This person is acting as my servant, and I am giving everything, including the wild animal animals, into His control." Yeah, yeah, and. Oh, gosh, you know, because we read somewhere else that it's God who sets up the kings. It's God who sets up the leaders. And it, I mean, the context of that seems to be it's God who sets up all the kings and leaders, which is sometimes hard to fathom when their actions are so reprehensible. You know, I mean, I guess the obvious one that keeps popping in my head here as we're talking is Hitler, you know, and we think Hitler Hitler was put into place by God. You know, how do how do we wrap our brains around that? You know, because uh, it's really hard to see how anything he did served to advance God's kingdom. Man, I don't know. It's a hard one. I guess I the thing that I've come up with over the years is that I don't think that everything that happens on Earth is supposed to directly. Yeah. That's my that's my important word of the sentence. promote God's kingdom. I think that there are two kingdoms at work here on earth, and they are at war, and this is the battlefield on which they play out. And so I, I don't necessarily think of every move on the giant, you know, chessboard of the world as being an immediate benefit to God's kingdom. A long term benefit, yes. Beneficial in terms of eradicating sin and saving humanity in the long run? Yes, but not necessarily right here and now in this moment in a way that seems obvious to us. 
Well, well, and I guess that's where we just have to trust that God's got it in hand, even when things seem awful. Oh, I've got a list of questions. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. At this point, I hope to be able to ask those, like, give me the history books. I really want to know why this happened and what yeah. benefit came of it. Because from down there, it looked awful. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's why I think it would be hard. It would be hard for me to be in this position and have a whole bunch of people saying, no, no, things are going to be fine. You're not going to have to worry about Nebuchadnezzar. Because that's, I mean, historically, that's sort of been been the MO of prophets in the past is don't worry about don't worry about the enemy coming. God's got it in hand. And now we've got a handful of prophets that have been saying, um, no, it's all going to go exactly the opposite of what you think. Um, it's not going to be good. It's you're going to have to go with this with this invader. Uh, you're going to be taken away from your land, from your homes. If you stay here, you're going to die. That's tough. I think that's Satan's best ploy, though. The best area of division is that he can get you because they're out of their comfort zone. God is moving them out of their comfort zone to learn something, to be refined. And I think if there was something contrary to that, it's easy to get caught up and not want to go and 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 get this refinement. And and once again, self kind of creeps up. Nationalism mm-hmm kind of creeps up and i think that's a great dividing point for a nation yeah go there you know be a servant you know be exiled is not something people would readily choose to go oh, okay i'll i'll go oh gosh it would be it would just be tough it would be tough and um i i guess probably because they've gotten themselves into a place where they just they thought they were unbeatable you know, and I think, too, with that being said, they were unbeatable. They had God on their side. Mm-hmm. They were the chosen people. He had delivered them and raised them up so many times against odds that were so stacked against them. But yet they just couldn't get it together. Mm-hmm. They couldn't be faithful to just one and keep one God and keep their eyes focused on him solely. Yeah. Well, so Jeremiah shows up and he delivers the message. And then comes a counter-prophet who takes the yoke off of him, breaks Uh it, says, nope, that's not accurate prophecy. This is accurate prophecy. Yeah. Yeah. Hananiah is the name of this other prophet. And he shows up. I mean, his his message is a complete 180 degrees from Jeremiah's. Two years. I'm going to do, I'm going to take care of Nebuchadnezzar, your enemy, in two years. Yeah. And he does this in a way that everything he does here is exactly the opposite of what God has been saying. First of all, he claims God is is talking to him. Well, here it was back in chapter 23. God specifically said, don't don't claim to be don't you know, don't say that I've been talking to you. You know, he told him that don't say it because I'm not. And he com- he keeps claiming that God is delivering Judah, which is the exact opposite message that God has actually been giving. He takes that yoke off of Jeremiah's neck that God just told him to wear <laughs> <laughs> and, and claims that God's going to break that yoke of Nebuchadnezzar. It's everything exactly the opposite of what has been uh, what, what's been told. And Jeremiah turns listeners <laughs> for the listeners. How are they supposed to know which is which? Well, yeah, that's kind of been my point here is how how do you know how do you know and i guess 
the only thing I can think of is is where has your focus been? Has your focus been on the prosperity of the nation, or has your focus been on following God's word? Um, but in this case, like this is really slippery. Like, what's mm-hmm. this? Toast? What is his name? Hanan- Hananiah. He Hananiah. doesn't show up and say. He doesn't show up and say, "Oh yeah, no, you're not going to get punished." He shows mm-hmm. up and says, yeah, this is going to happen. But then in two years, it's going to change, right? Like it's it's very sneaky. It's very, very satanic. That is absolutely the way the devil works. No, it's not this. It's just slightly to the side of that. Yeah. Notice which one of these two is preaching repentance. Mm, good point. Only Jeremiah. Hananiah shows up and he's got the news that everybody wants to hear. And trust me, I have heard plenty of this over the last little bit, is that people want to hear what they want to hear. And Jeremiah is preaching not what he wants to preach. We've covered that before. He's He has not wanted to preach this. It's put him in a bad way. Um, it's put him in physical danger. He's an outcast of the church. Uh, let's not forget that this uh, Hananiah and all these other folks show up from the mainstream of the church. Yeah. They're not outliers. They're on the inside politically and of the religious majority. And they're preaching that things are going to be, they're going to turn around and they're going to be all right. And that's what people want to hear. Jeremiah, not only does he preach what will happen with what God told him to say, but that he continually asks them and urges them to repent and i think that's one of the key differences here because hananiah shows up with all the same things he does he uses the same sermon illustrations he uses the same language all of these things but he doesn't preach repentance mm-hmm. that is an excellent excellent point because it seems like it's always the times when you think everything is going fine that's when you need to watch out. Karen, you were talking several episodes ago about uh, a couple you knew who it was a husband and wife who would like check each other once in a while. You know, are you being poked by the devil? Are you being yeah. prodded by God? And if if everything seems fine, you're they worried. Pro- yeah, you yeah. Pro- you might have you might have a problem. You need to reevaluate. They, yeah, they actually had a policy in their marriage that if everything was going fine, they would sit down and pray and say, what are we missing? Because their assumption was that they had gone blind because God yeah. was no longer, they could no longer feel God growing them. And I was just like, whoa, what a fascinating point of view. Mm-hmm. You know, I think of growth as intermittent for the average human. Like you grow a little bit, then you rest, you get used to your new routines, you grow a little bit, you rest, you so prepare the soil, if you will, for the next phase of your walk. And these people were like, mm-mm. They've been married yeah. for like 20, 20 some odd years, and that they just that's the way they felt about it. And I was just like, whoa. Yeah. But so that is an excellent point, though. If <laughs> if somebody claims to be a prophet to you and is telling you everything is great, you better get your guard up because God's message has always been repent. Because we're human beings and we're screwing it up all the time. We you know, there's no way. I mean, there's no way that you have it right all the time. And if if the message coming to you is isn't, you know, repent, reevaluate, rethink, then it's probably not the right message. That is an excellent point that, you know, that's going to that that 
really helps, I think, going forward, too, because like I was talking about how hard it is to listen. And it's probably still going to be hard to listen because we love to hear our our own thoughts uh, bounced back at us. But listening, listening for that voice that's saying to repent, that probably is. That probably is a great key for for knowing that it's God's voice. Well, Jeremiah turns right around and he says, well, now this wooden yoke is going to be an iron one. So good luck breaking that. He says um, he's placed a yoke of iron on the nations to serve Babylon and they shall serve him. And I underlined that in my notes. They shall serve him. It's not a question. It, this, the, there is no if then in this. It is just simply this is going to happen. And he continues on and tells Hananiah, you're going to die this year because you've taught rebellion against God. And if my math was right there, he died. Hananiah was dead two months later. That brings up some uh, important things. One is verse nine. As for the prophet who prophesies peace, when the Lord of that, when the word of that prophet comes to pass, then it will be known that the Lord truly sent that prophet. It's a test like do what they say comes true. The addition to that is Deuteronomy 13, 11, which says, hey, even if what the prophet says comes true, if they're telling you to do something other than what God has said before, it's not okay. Mm -hmm. Um, Because God doesn't just change his mind. And I find it very interesting that after this straight up confrontation between the two saying opposite things is in verse 11. Hananiah says one thing, Jeremiah says the other thing. And the last line of uh, verse 11, the Jeremiah, the prophet, went his way. Mm-hmm. Mm. He didn't stay and engage. A lot of people think it's like, no, 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 you got to stay and fight all the time. You got to fight, 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 fight. And Jeremiah was like, nope, I said the thing that I needed to say. People wouldn't listen. I'm out. Mm-hmm. Now, he came back when God said, you've got something specific I need you to say. And he came back and did that. But I, well, there it is. I mean, there's there's an illustration of he said what he needed to say, and then he left. It is not essential to stay and uh, fight tooth and nail with people who just don't want to listen. Yeah, there comes a point where you just shrug your shoulders and turn away. Well, I mean, that's kind of the position that, that Judah is in here now anyway, where God is sort of, sort of, not exactly, but sort of even God is having to shrug his shoulders and and step back so that the the nation will learn. They'll see the you know, it's good that it's going to happen. Yeah. Related to what you just said, Matt, about the math, about when Hananiah died. Mm-hmm. I see this so often. People will hear, listen to advice on picket, morality, finance, um, love, religion, health, and they won't follow up to see what happened. This Mm. person who was telling me, oh, this is the treatment you should do for X, Y, and Z. Well, check back in three years. Are they dead? Mm. You know, but people don't do that. They listen to it and then they'll go on to the next thing and to the next thing. It's like, you know, you could look back and look at the arc of the success of their advice and see what's going on, not just what happens to sound good to you in the moment. And I think that's one of the problems that, that the people in Judah are having here is because they blew off Amos, Obadiah, Isaiah. This See, because this isn't just Jeremiah showing up on the scene telling them this. Jeremiah is telling them the same thing 
that these previous prophets have been telling them. Same thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but people haven't been paying attention to like, oh, what's the arc of what they're telling us? Is is this, you know, whose advice is working in real life, I guess is what I'm saying. And that's a thing that God offers to them in this situation, which is not to say that always that that the bad people just die instantly, you know, or go broke or their marriage blows up. It doesn't work like that. Sometimes the negative repercussions of our actions take a long time to to take root and bloom. But we can look back on the lives of ourselves or others and say, well, what worked? You know, Mm -hmm. what works and what doesn't work and which way will I go versus what sounds really good right in the moment? Because as what we've said is right in that moment, well, that's kind of, it might be a little hard to tell. Yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking is like, that's a long, slow way to think things through and make decisions. And we're blind to it until that time has passed. And there's a pretty, uh, pretty famous book that was written about marriages. And this guy, you know, he'd been a counselor for, gosh, what, three decades or something like that. And when he went into practice, he started asking, I don't know what made him think of this, but something made him think like when he went into practice, he asked all of his counseling clients, these couples that would come to him, he asked them all the same set of questions for 25 years. Then Mm -hmm. he took those laws of averages and he distilled them down to theory that you could use in real life. And it helped shape his it helped shape his job as he went along and it helped. And then he, and then he wrote a best-selling book that is still the still, you know, he wrote this gosh decades ago and it's still quoted as one of the, one of the end all be all resources of, you know, how, how to do things in a marriage. And the reason was that it was so long-term and that is to me, that's one of the biggest tricks of day-to-day Christianity, day-to-day, what do I take action on and when do I step back? you know, social media, which fights do I engage in? Which ones do I step back and go, "Mm, nope, I think you're on your own on this one, right? Like, there's a lot going on in the world. How do I engage with it on a personal level as a member of society, all of the things? And I just, to me, that's one of the tricks is like, I can't see the end from the beginning. I don't have that. I, I have to sort it out based on what I know of other similar situations and figure out how to go forward and sort of like make decisions on my own path. And it gets really, really tricky. I think that's key. What Karen is saying is sometimes you just have to look at the, the end game, the long game, you know, you can't make the quick rash decisions and see what's beneficial to you in the, in the long run. And, and sometimes that's the hardest thing because hindsight is always twenty twenty. And when you look back, Oh, I could have done things differently. But I think if you're planning for, you know, and what we always talk about here is ultimately salvation and, and going to heaven and being with God, then sometimes it it can change exactly what you're going to do in that that moment. And I do think occasionally we get, you know, like a bump from the Holy Spirit, like do this, do that, go here, don't go there. Right. I do think that that happens. And for me, that's always a relief. Right. Because then I then I know for sure I'm on the right track. But I think there's plenty of situations where we have to learn as we go. And like like what Tracy exactly just said, it's like we only we only get the 2020 in hindsight. And okay, great. That can inform how we walk 
forward, but the world has a nasty habit of changing on us. And so what we walk forward into, what are the odds that's going to be exactly like what we left? You know, but I think we could probably find hundreds of thousands of people who have made terrible relationship decisions, who've made terrible financially financial decisions, terrible whatever. At the same time, even even spiritual decisions, but they never would have thought that in the moment. So. Yeah, this stuff is this stuff is hard. Like Satan's out there, he's alive and well. He is absolutely doing his thing. And the thing that Hananiah did here, where he doesn't show up and directly oppose what the man of God says, he just says, "Well, I mean, he's it's like, yes, yeah, some of that's right, but the the end of it is actually going to be completely different." Mm-hmm. That's all it takes from the father of lies. And we humans who can't see the future are just like, "Oh, really? Oh, shoot. Now which one do I believe?" Mm, yeah. Now, both of these, both of these, you know, prophets showed up and prophesied that Nebuchadnezzar was going to show up and inflict this punishment from God on the people for their stupid behavior. But one of them said, it's going to last 70 years. Don't resist. Go along. Live. Marry. Thrive. You'll come back. And another one says, yeah, it's only going to last two years. You'll be fine. Mm-hmm. So it's like, hmm, very sneaky. Very sneaky. Yeah. yeah. Well. You know, go ahead. Oh, sorry, Matt. I wonder, you know, too, if if that was the exact play, because it comes down to you can do anything for a couple of years. You know what I mean? Right. And instead of saying it's going to be 70, it's going to be a long haul. You know, I think it's once again, what can I get away with easier? Mm -hmm. I'm going to take the path of least resistance. Oh, two years. Uh, Okay, I guess I could do it and really not learn anything from it. But if it's you're looking at an entire lifetime or maybe even a generation. It's like, oh, this is bad. Mm-hmm. Well, and like we said, Hananiah died. Uh, I would think that going back and, you know, when Jeremiah told everybody that he wasn't going to live the year out and Hananiah died quickly, you know, see, pretty quickly, that should have been an indication to people that what Jeremiah was saying is true. Hard, hard, hard to tell if they could, if they knew at the time or not. But, you know, at this point, it seems like it's too late anyway. So Jeremiah is continuing with with the message. And he sends a letter in chapter 29. It sounds like he sends a letter to people who have been taken away. Because this isn't like at this point now, we're not waiting for Nebuchadnezzar to come in and take take away Judah. This has already been starting to happen for the last king or two. And uh, I guess it, it sounds like it's not as quick of a process as I previously thought. I mean, we think that, 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 that Babylon just came in and invaded and grabbed people and, 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 and took off, but it sounds like certain Kings have been taken away. It's, it's been, it's been a slower process over, over quite a few years. And so he's sending now, Jeremiah is sending a letter to people in Babylon and, the letter is being sent by Zedekiah, which is interesting. King of Judah. The king of Judah. In this case, the last king of Judah. So I kind of got at that point, it's like maybe Zedekiah is starting to listen. It's going to be too late, but it sounds like maybe he's starting to listen where he's the one who actually sends the letter from, from Jeremiah. Uh, yes, Jeremiah. But the message is settle, live, be established in Babylon. It's like get comfortable where you are because you're going to be there for a while. Uh, seek the peace of the city because in its peace you will have peace. Well, that's, uh, I don't know, that seems like good advice, but not always the advice that we like to listen to. 
because we've been going through a few <laughs> the last few presidents here in the United States. There's always been somebody going, that's not my president, you know, right. <laughs> and it's like, oh, yes, it is. I don't care if you voted for for him or in the future, it's probably going to be a her, you know, at some point. It's like, I don't care if you say it or not. Um, that is that is your president, you know, and this is the case here. This is the city you live in. And if you you should wish for it to thrive and you should yeah. work for it to thrive. Yeah. Because if it doesn't, you know, if it, if, if, it. yeah, because if it doesn't, if it, <laughs> if it works, even though it's not the way you think it should, and you are able to benefit from it, isn't that a good thing? You know, shouldn't you want it to go well and then you go well with it? It's, that's, you know, that's, that's the way it should be. You, 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 sh- you shouldn't be hoping for the downfall because if it falls, you're going to fall too. So, so settle in, get comfortable. He says, don't listen to your dreams, which you have caused to be dreamed. I thought that was an interesting statement because, you know, everybody wants for Babylon to fall. Everybody wants for Babylon to not haul them off. Everybody wants for Nebuchadnezzar to not have this power. And it's influencing you know, what these false prophets have been saying. It seems like that's what God's saying. He's like, you're having these dreams. If they're dreams that you're, that you're preaching, you're having these dreams because it's what you want to hear. And that's not going to do you any good. So don't listen to them because I, God have not sent them. And he gives them that 70 years. I'll, I'll return after 70, uh, return you after 70 years. One of the um, things, like about this letter is the very last um, lines of it, which is you know, like, I guess that would be verses, you know, 22, 23. And it's basically saying these people, you know, list off the bad guys have done outrageous things in Israel. They have committed adultery with their neighbor's wives. And in my name, they have uttered lies, which I did not authorize. Now here comes the fun part. I know it and am witness to it. Right. So all of this, like, Direction, misdirection, other direction that goes on here on planet Earth that I personally find so frustrating. There is somebody who actually knows the truth. And eventually we will get to know the truth. It's only those of us who are slogging along in the mud of day to day life that don't necessarily know what's going on in the grand scheme of things. I personally find huge relief in that, that somebody knows all of it. And that they are the one that is in control and guiding the thing. And that is what allows me to step back and take my hands off of smaller situations that I'm super frustrated with and just be like, okay, I, I just, I have to give this one to God. Like, I can't, I can't worry this anymore. You know, I, I looked at this letter too, and I was thinking to myself, I think it's once again, another, another example of a, a blueprint that God gives his people again. You know, he's simply telling them, you know, what you need to do, what to be careful for, what you can do to to establish that relationship again. Search for, um, in 13, you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your hearts. Mm-hmm. So, you know, so he's laying the groundwork. He's also laying the thing that, you know, is also, like Karen was saying towards the end, it lays out the punishment for those that have lied to you. You know, and I think he 
he jumps right in there and, and pulls in Zedekiah and Ahab, whom the king of Babylon roasted in the fire. Mm-hmm. You know, I think it, it, it just lays it out. Once again, we get another blueprint of this is what you need to do to get back on track. Mm-hmm. Will you do it or won't you? Are you going to be resistant to it? Yeah. I put a star in my notes here next to uh, verse 11, which is a, I think it's a famous, it's a a famous verse. Yeah. 29 verse 11 says, for I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. You know, that's is this is in that context of settle in, settle in where you are, settle in because you're going to be there for a while. And, and and my plans for you are good. mm -hmm, Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Even though you don't like. You may not like what's happening right now. Understand that I'm doing this for your good. If if God were to step back and just let them have their way, they would have. I think they would have destroyed themselves. You know, if it hadn't been, if it hadn't been Babylon, it would have been something. I don't know. I think that's such an important verse and such an important thing to remember is that God has our best interests at heart, and if we trust in Him. Even the uncomfortable times, even the times that seem devastating, if we can understand that ultimately that's for our good, we're going to grow from it. We're going to learn from it. Something good will come of it at some point. And we may not even we may not even be able to recognize the good in this life. I know that's hard for us to fathom. It's hard for us to comprehend that that if our lives are down in the dumps that God still has us our best interests at heart. And hmm, it's a, I don't know. It's an important thing to try to remember. It's not always easy for us though. There was a verse here, verse 15. I didn't quite get, you've said the Lord has raised up prophets for us in Babylon. What? Were they talking about, or what was he talking about here? You have said the Lord has raised a prophets for us in Babylon. It's the same thing that's been going on the whole time. They've got their own prophets. They're telling gotcha. them what they want to hear. Okay, gotcha. I thought so. I thought so. I just had a question mark next to it because I wanted to clarify. It, it goes back to verse 9. For it is a lie they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, says the Lord. Yeah, gotcha. Okay. More warning here. People not taken into captivity are going to die by the sword and famine and pestilence. And it's because they wouldn't listen to the prophets that he actually sent. So very important for us to be able to listen to the actual message from God and and not just the ones we want to hear. There are a couple of specific prophets, and I have the, the word prophets in quotations in my notes, Ahab and Zedekiah. This isn't, I don't think this is the king Zedekiah. This is a different prophet. They're going to be killed by Nebuchadnezzar. And and their names will be known as a curse. So yeah, these false prophets are going to see their they're going to see their demise and comeuppance. Uh, another one, Shemaiah, who he encouraged Jeremiah to be put in stocks and not, you know, this time not a yoke that he put on himself, but, you know, put put Jeremiah into a position of, of shame or tried to shame him. And this Shemaiah's line is not going to continue and he's not going to see the good that God has in store for the people. So. We get into Jeremiah chapter 30 then, and the narrative shifts a bit now. Uh, Jeremiah is commanded to write a book, and I have in, in 
in a parenthesis here is I wonder if it's this book, this book of Jeremiah that we're that we're reading. Is this God's command for him to write this book of prophecy? I think maybe it is. Probably it is. He says, write a book because the days are coming when God will return the people from captivity. So a little a little piece of encouragement. We're starting to get a little more of a positive message here. There's some interesting questions here. Like verse six, ask and see whether a man is ever in labor with child. And says, well, why are you know why are the men acting like they're in labor? You know, in in pain because yes, things are bad, but things will be good. So there's not really a reason for these guys to to be so distraught. You know what I mean? There's this is one of those sections, chapter thirty and to uh, thirty one, where some things are kind of flashing in and out of time mm-hmm. um, because some of these things sound more universal end of time things because verse seven alas the day is so great there is none like it it is a time of distress for jacob yet he shall be saved out of it so six and seven well five six and seven all go together that there is there is terror and no peace and panic and that it's a pretty serious time that's going to happen. And is that, you know, and I would say, you know, it's it's related to, um, oh, it's up ahead where it talks about, um, you know, Rachel weeping for her children for there are no more. It's like, okay, well, that's partially in Jeremiah's time and it's partially in the time of Herod when he killed the uh, the innocents trying to trying to murder Jesus. Mm-hmm. And also, is that an end of time thing? It's 30 and 31 started to get fairly, um, the timeline, yes, yeah, to me, as I read it, kind of dipped in and out of chronological time. It was very difficult for me to see what was happening when. Yeah, mm-hmm. me too. I, I I thought the same thing. The word murky kept coming to mind. I was like, well, this is a little bit murky. I can't figure out what I'm reading here. Yeah, maybe that's why I'm having a hard time with with uh, with deciphering my notes on this because it's it's it is hard to get a straight line on what exactly is being said and uh, yeah I guess we just have to we've got to put on the glasses to focus on end time and as well as what's happening there and uh, yeah just uh, yeah murky it's uh, it's a little tricky here now. I don't know. Maybe I shouldn't go here with it, but that verse six, ask whether a man is ever in labor with a child. I know this isn't the context of what's being talked about there, but it baffles me that this is even a question in today's society. Yeah. I (laughs) thought the exact same thing because there's like, they're putting up like the little emojis of the pregnant man and stuff like that. And I was like, oh, well, that's kind of funny. I got a little chuckle out of it and then moved on. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't want to be. <laughs> Sorry, I don't want to belabor this. <laughs> oh, that's a bad play on words there. Sorry. But um, but I mean, the, the gist of it here is that this shouldn't even be in question, you know, and and then, of course, it's it's, you know, why are you why are you acting like you are so distressed and in so much pain? Because. As he says in verse seven, the day of trouble is going to be great, but they're going to be saved. So uh, this is not devastating. You know, it's it might seem so. It might seem very difficult for them at the time, but this is not ultimately devastating 
there will be good to come out of it at some point in the future. And I and I would argue that that is that is exactly what I was getting at before is that the people who haven't read prophecy and for the people who don't have an inkling an inkling of what's coming in the future, that's the cries of fear, terror, not peace. You know, holding mm-hmm. their stomach like they're in labor, every face deathly pale. It will be a time of trouble, right? But he mm-hmm. will be saved out of it. But like for those who don't have that longer, higher perspective, it's terrifying. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, we kind of see today people that are so desperate to want to save the planet. Nothing wrong with being environmental, you know, being an environmentalist. Nothing at all. But so desperate to want to save the planet, and we know that the planet. You know, we know we've read the book. The planet isn't going to last forever. So, so you know, getting so distraught about global warming and 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 these kind of things um, is maybe putting too much emphasis on the wrong and the wrong thing which i'm not saying that shows a lack of perspective right so i mean if i didn't believe in god if i didn't believe in creation if i didn't believe in the earth made new if i didn't believe in those things and i thought that this little timeline and this little earth was all that was ever going to be i'd be out there hugging trees and Mm -hmm. defending them with my life and you know what i mean like that would be a huge deal to me like we only got one of these leave it alone Mm -hmm. that's it's a very different perspective and yeah. it puts your it puts your focus and your anger and your your feeling of what is right. Uh, it's on a completely different game board. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. That's kind of that's kind of what I'm saying. We're we, we you you know when we're looking at it as a more of an effort to save souls than to save trees. And yes, we need the trees to to live and survive. But knowing that the trees are going to burn at some point anyway tells us, okay, yes, we need to take care of them. But there's stuff that's more important. And that is the people. That is the souls of, uh, you know, all those, all, all those people that, that we, we'd like to see them saved. We'd like to see them uh, uh, continuing into eternity. Uh, God says, I will correct you in justice and will not let you go altogether unpunished. That that was an interesting phrase to me because we don't necessarily think of punishment as a positive. But if you can think of it in the terms, let me step on some toes here. You're <laughs> in the grocery show, store and some kid is just screaming at the top of their lungs and the parent is trying the ignore it and it'll go away method. Sometimes I got a question, are they really exhibiting love to that child by letting them have their way? If you want your child to grow up to be a responsible adult, you have to teach them that they can't always have their way and you can't just ignore their bad behavior. You have to step in and you have to you have to do something corrective. Uh, you know, of course, I'm not here to tell you what that has to be, but doing nothing is is not exhibiting love and of course you know i don't want to come across as seeming too judgmental because i don't know how they uh, have been with that kid all day long you know it's very easy to step in with the from the outside perspective and just think that somebody is is uh, just ignoring a problem and they always ignore the problem but you know maybe it is such a situation where they've been trying to deal with it with their kid all day long 
and and them this is them finally saying oh whatever you know and, and and just putting up their hands i actually think that's a really good example you know similar to that that text that we read before can a man bear children then why do i see every strong man with his hands on his stomach like a woman in labor right it, mm-hmm. it's such a departure from the world that they lived in then to the world that we live in now and i think we can lay we can lay that squarely at the feet of satan but here's a text from hebrews Tell me how out of place this sounds from a lot of modern day perspectives. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the father of spirits and live? Okay. Mm -hmm. We're in generation after generation of broken family and absent or passive fathers. And our earthly leaders have been meticulously destroyed by the father of lies. So that even the word of God, when we go there and look for the truth, like if you've if you've never had a human father who disciplined you and you respected him for it, how do you connect to that? Mm-hmm. You know, if you're raised in an era where transgender is normal and you can just decide your gender based on how you feel about your gender rather than how you're born, the gender that you're born with, how does that affect your perception of scriptures? Like it gets weirder and weirder. Like reality is just edging away from what the word of God says. And I, and that is, you know, that is absolutely a reflection of the deterioration of the earth and our minds and our hearts and our spirituality and thousands and thousands of years of Satan's hard work. Mm-hmm. I firmly believe it because I would love it. I would love it if every person who read Hebrews 12, 9, moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the father of spirits and live? Wouldn't it be marvelous if every human had that perspective? But yeah. they don't. They don't. Right. That whole love your neighbor as yourself. You know how many people have issues with self-love? Oh, my yeah. goodness. How are you supposed to figure that one out? How do you put that into real life? I'm telling you, Satan's done a number on this place. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it. I struggle with that. I, I I agree I agree with 100% with everything you said, but I I can strike struggle with it in some ways, and maybe it's because I came up from a perspective of having parents who did discipline me when I did something wrong, taught me better, um, you know, taught me to get outside of me just getting what I want, but um, when people have the 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 bad father that makes it hard for them to understand how we can say we have a loving father in heaven i struggle with that because if you recognize that your father was bad shouldn't shouldn't that give you a perspective of understanding that there should be something better than that yes you, know? but you can't imagine what it is you have right i know so so disliking what you have and knowing what you should have had in its place is not the same thing yeah. So yeah. I can t- I can tell you from the field that I work in, there is there is mm-hmm. not much else <laughs> that is more self destructive than misdirected or undirected state of rage. Yeah. My no. life has offended me in these ways. I can tell. I can't put words on it. I don't know what was wrong with it because I don't know what it was supposed to be like. Instead, I just know I'm furious. Yeah. All the time, I'm hurt and I'm furious. Yeah, I I recognize that my perspective is obviously different, and uh, and so that's why I say I struggle. It's not it's not that I discount their point of view. Yeah, I get it. I, I get just it. struggle with it because because it seems to be like, but you ought to, you know. I don't know. You know, I I 
listening to this and I was thinking about a sermon that I had heard once that said, you know, you can come from various backgrounds, but you tend to gravitate towards those if you don't know anything different. Almost like what Karen was saying, that even though you're making a conscious effort to do better, that in those times of like high stress and anxiety and stuff, you revert back to what's what you know or what's been done to you. Absolutely. And, and I think, too, sometimes that, that plays into it. You want to, to do better. Sometimes you just don't have the tools. And then yeah. sometimes I think heredity, heredity is, is not on your side as well when you do have the tools and you're trying to put them in practice. And you know what? You just get into one of those states, just like Karen was saying, that you know what? You just revert back to your childhood. And I think, too, that being because my parents were big disciplinarians and it's you know, it's hard. It's hard to take a different approach. Sometimes when you're just at that brink, it's like, okay, what am I going to do? What, you know, and then, you know, you just go into one of those reaction modes and, and it happens that way. And I think that's, you want to do better. Sometimes you just don't know how to accomplish it. Mm -hmm. And I, and I would argue that, you know, for the devil doing his work over the generations of humans, as time has passed, that that's very intentional. Anything that he can do to separate us from how things should be works to his favor. We don't oh, yeah. even we we don't even have the right perspective to make good decisions. Yeah. And I think we see that, you know, it's that one of those things that it works in dividing people. And if you can if you can break down the family unit, you can accomplish that much easier. It makes the task a little bit better when everybody's at odds and there's not a good foundation that they can go back and get a good um I don't know, reset on their moral compass. Cause right. you know, I think that's how we use our parents. And if you break down that family unit, you know, what do you have? You have somebody that's doesn't have that generational knowledge to help them. Yep. Mm -hmm. And it, and it, it, um, it skews what we know about ourselves into nothing but an emotional experience because we have no counterpoint. Um, it skews what should be, it skews, it skews everything. It's, it's, this is this is what I spend my days at work dealing with is people who were raised in the the craziest situations you can possibly imagine. And now they're adults and they're trying to find their way through the world and they don't even know what normal is. Mm -hmm. They are the walking wounded. And my goodness, if that doesn't inspire rage in me. Yeah. At, at evil. Oh. oh, yeah. No, you know, and it's interesting because I have been hearing more and more stories about bad parents just being awful to their children and totally skewing their kids perspectives on what good is supposed to be just uh friday night our pastor was relaying a story he read it in a book he didn't tell us the name of the book <laughs> it was it's so disturbing but the book is written by a woman whose father would abuse her when she was young uh, and it sounds like sexually abused her while he was young, while she was young, while resorted, while reciting the Lord's Prayer. Now, you talk about skewing uh, what a father is supposed to be and skewing what the Heavenly Father is supposed to be. I mean, what? Uh, oh, I mean, just just hearing that it 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 raised my anger and it, and, you know, it hurt my heart to hear something like that and oh man it's so hard so hard to hear things like that about children being treated that way and then it just makes it so it's like it's like 
okay, if that's the only perspective you have. How do you find may, God? How do you, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. How do you perceive God? How do you ever think that God is safe? How do you mm -hmm. ever conceive of God? Right. Other than in your emotions where the, you know, the cry of your child, your wounded child heart is that something must be better than this. No, it's terrible. Mm -hmm. It's terrible. I mean, down to stuff as basic as a woman can't let go of her drug habits long enough to get through her pregnancy. And mm -hmm. so the child is born compromised. Mm -hmm. You know, the, the first the, that child's first experience in life is going through withdrawals from meth or whatever. It is insane. The the fallout from sin. Yeah. And we are now currently a long ways from Jeremiah 30. Yeah, we are. Well, yes and no. Yes and no. Because the point that we were getting at is that God, God is telling them, I'm trying to correct you. I'm punishing you because I love you. You know, that's why. And so and so that's why it's so important for us to have a good perspective of what a good father is, what a good parent is. A good parent will correct you. A good parent will punish for the purpose of correction. Not, you know, we're not talking about just, you know, coming home and beating you. Not, you know, not talking about the abusive side of this, but, you know, occasionally the kid needs the spanking because their 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 perspective has gotten so out of whack that there's nothing else that will that will bring them around. You know, you've tried everything else and there's nothing else that brings them around except for, you know, a physical punishment. It's not what you want to do as a parent. Nobody, no parent likes doing it, or at least no good parent should like doing it. But sometimes it's necessary and you do it because you love your children. That's why you do it. And it hurts to do it, but you do it because you love them. When my kids were little, I used to tell them, I will talk to your ears as long as your ears work. If your ears stop working, I will talk to your butt. There you go. You will hear me. It is my job to raise you and you will hear me. <laughs> there you go. Exactly. Yeah, you know, and God is even saying, He says, "Why do you cry about your affliction? You know, this yeah. stuff that's coming. Why are you crying about this now? It is because of your great guilt that I am doing this. Mm -hmm. Yep. Mm -hmm. This is happening because of what you have done. This is happening. I've tried. I have tried so hard. I've tried talking to your ears over and over and over, and you haven't listened. You haven't changed. You haven't done it. So in chapter thirty, it winds up saying, see, the storm of the Lord will burst out in wrath, a driving wind swirling down on the heads of the wicked. The fierce anger of the Lord will not turn back until he is fully accomplished, until he fully accomplishes the purposes of his heart. In the days to come, you will understand this. And there again, me with my endless craving for answers, it's like I'm always trying to see the big picture and figure out which path to follow and figure out what is accurate and what isn't because there's so much inaccurate stuff trying to catch my attention down here. I love texts like this. In the days to come, you will understand this. And that's that's where the, you know, the God's child in me is able to say, okay, I can set my curiosity aside and understand that at some point in the future, I will get answers to this. And in the meantime, do I trust God? Can I see his leading in the past? And if I can see that, can I relax and trust him with the future? So that I'm not one of those, you know, with my face pale, clutching my belly as if I was in labor because I'm so scared. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then uh, chapter 31 goes on continuing this line of affirmation that, that things are, you know, things are going to be OK. He says things like the people who survived the sword found grace in the wilderness. 
you know, grace in the wilderness. I mean, the wilderness isn't necessarily the place you want to be, you know, but there's grace there. But he starts talking about how things are going to get rebuilt because says the virgin of Israel will be rebuilt. He gives a command. God gives a command, proclaim, give praise and say, oh, Lord, save your people. Now, why would God give a command to say, save us if he didn't have some intention of saving? You know, if God gives you a command, it's because he wants you to do it. Yeah. Um, and how cruel would it be if he said, no, OK, pr- pray for salvation, but don't expect it. You know, that's not that's absolutely not wouldn't be the point here. It's like pray for salvation because I'm going to save you. Uh, and, and so, um, you know, it's it's um, encouragement, encouragement here. It says the world will witness the restoration of Israel. They'll see that he who scattered Israel will will gather him. They shall come and sing. This sounded to me like. He's saying that the nations will come and sing because of all this, because because they've seen your affliction and because they'll see your restoration, they're going to come and praise because they have they have witnessed what you've gone through. They've witnessed that restoration that you're going to have. And he says, my people shall be satisfied with my goodness. Oh, to be I mean, being satisfied, satisfied by God. That's a I don't know. That has like a cooling, calming effect on me to be satisfied with God's goodness. Yeah, it reminds me a lot of the Psalms, you know, where, you know, David is like, I think about your law all day long. You know, Mm. you know, my soul cries out for your salvation. Like he just he gets into these emotional states where he just like that's all he's thinking about. And I'm like, wow. So verse 15, it's that it's that popular verse famous verse that gets uh reiterated in the book of matthew chapter two a voice was heard in rama and rachel how does it go exactly let's see here. morning and with great weeping rachel weeping for her children refusing to be comforted for they are dead yes yes we we pull that back up at the christmas time because this was we see it then as herod killing all the babies to to try to get jesus which eric already alliterated to earlier but obviously has some some meaning for them right then and there. They're going to have some unhappy times. But the messianic aspect of that too is is so interesting. I don't know that if I were the if I were the Matthew writing the book of Matthew that I would have necessarily taken that as a prophetic statement. Yeah, you it's know? hard to, it's hard to sort that out from the other stuff that's going on here. But then again, we weren't contemporaries to it. Like if that's you right. lived in Israel. And you knew the relationship of this part and that part and this part over here of the country, you know, maybe that would make more sense. But mm-hmm. yeah, because Matthew's like, well, he, you know, this this happened so that it would uh, be fulfilled. So somehow or other, they recognized that that was uh, prophetic for for, for a messianic time, or maybe maybe it wasn't those times when you you recognize the prophecy as it as it is fulfilled. And not so much as you look for something specific to happen. It's just when it does happen, you go, oh, there it is. You know? Yep. Oh, there's something in here about work being rewarded. It's important for our for our faith to be displayed through works, not to not to buy salvation, but not to and not to um not to be legalistic, but if your you know, your faith has to be displayed. It has to it has to come out somehow. 
it ha- you know and and when it does it gets rewarded by god yeah and and i think of that as you know like the book of james talks about it. it's like you don't you don't do good works to be saved you do good works because you are saved yes yes exactly it's just the, it's just the natural result it's the natural result of faith to have good works it just is verses 18 and 19 is very much talking about repentance talking about using the name Ephraim here but meaning the children of Israel they're finally going to repent see the errors and I mean it sounds like the the corrective actions are taking their are, are having the result uh, and we get into some oh verse 22 we need to talk about verse 22 the Lord has created a new thing in the earth Tracy, you were mentioning this earlier. It might have even been before we started recording. God talking about the Lord has created a new thing in the earth. Mm-hmm. Is it new or is it just what was supposed to be? I don't know. But um, well, I'd be interested in the different translations of this. Like I've got a parallel Bible with four different versions, and all four versions translated this text very, very differently. I, you know, the, I don't have ESV. I know Eric reads ESV. I'd be curious what ESV says about this, but it was like, wow. Like the new King James says, for the Lord has created a new thing in the earth. A woman shall encompass a man. Mm-hmm. Okay. What? Yeah. Man. I didn't quite know what that meant. And then in NIV, it says the Lord will create a new thing on earth. The woman will return to the man. You know, and then I've got a mm. couple of paraphrases. Uh, the new the NLT New Living Translation says, "For the Lord will cause something new to happen. Israel will embrace her God." Mm. And then the message says, "God will create a new thing in this land. A transformed woman will embrace the transforming God." So is it is it the loyalty and the faithfulness? Is that what he's saying is going to be a new thing? Hmm. Yeah, I wasn't quite sure because uh, you know I'm I was wondering you know woman is the woman a church is the woman who's the man first part of 22 says how long will you wander unfaithful daughter israel so we know he's talking about israel yeah yeah you know and i think that's just a return a return to what you need to be doing that they they have not been doing and it's like you know you're going to go through this you're going to go through the exile you're going to be a servant of uh, um, another country but you know what We'll do a new thing where you come back to me. It'll be renewed, restored. Yeah. What did ESV say on that, Eric? It doesn't. It just says a a, work, a woman encircles a man. Okay. Hmm. So similar to New King James. Yeah. Oh. Huh. Yeah. Anyway, I thought I like I liked the verse, but I had trouble like pinpointing exactly what that meant. Yeah. Well, I. I, th- I think tra- like Tracy was saying that it's just that new perspective, that new where, like you said, we're going to try something new and you're going to come back to me. And then um, you could be loyal. And you're going to be, <laughs> and you're going to be loyal. And that's really the new thing here. You, you're going to stay, you're going to be loyal. New perspective though. Look at this differently. Look at this differently than you have been. Get your head right. Get your head where it needs to be and away from these little issues that you've been uh, having and focus on God, focus on me, God, we're going to start over. You know, we're going to start over. Sometimes God almost seems dismissive of how complex and awful the human experience can be. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I hope to someday gain the perspective to where 
I don't feel like a silly child. I mean, do you, do you? I mean, we've all raised kids, right? Do you remember how silly a two-year-old looks when they're weeping and and carrying on about some tiny little thing that's happened? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, like, is that what we look like? Because from my <laughs> point of view, the stuff that's going on is like that's weeping worthy. Like, yeah. this isn't how it was supposed to be, and I have a right to be upset here, you know. Yeah. But then, like, what's God's perspective on that? Like, oh, she's so mm. cute. She gets mad. Come here. <laughs> like what you know what i don't know i just i yeah the videos when little kids get they start crying weeping uncontrollably over when people sing happy birthday to them and for <laughs> some reason they 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 don't know how to handle the emotions or whatever and they seem angry and and totally distraught and you're like well, I mean, oh. now that i'm 50 i kind of understand it but okay. <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah this stupid song every year <laughs> and nobody could sing it well. <laughs> oh, well, God talks about a new covenant. Now, this isn't new. You know, it's it's interesting to look at this in hindsight. But the, the new covenant, I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And he calls this the new a new covenant. And this isn't even the first time we've read this in the in the new in the old testament, you know, so calling it new. Is. You know, but I I wonder too if it's it's a new thing for the generation that it's affecting. No, good you know, point. You know, because he has he's he's repeated this over and over to every generation since leaving Egypt, and it's it just didn't hit home. And you know what? He's gonna maybe he's just saying you know I'm gonna do it a new thing for you this generation. I'm gonna reestablish this with you. Yeah. And it'll it'll be to a point where he says there's not going to be any need to teach about God because everybody's going to know him. You won't have to introduce someone to God because everyone will know. And that is obviously not talking about the uh, ancient Israelites. And that's obviously not talking about now. But at some point, it will be a situation where you're not going to be like, hey, have you ever heard of Jesus? Because everybody is going to intimately know him. And and uh, and that will be a good thing. And to the point where it says, if the sun, the moon, the stars, the waves, if those things cease, then Israel was, will cease, which is basically a poetic say, way of saying it's going to go forever. It'll it's just going to go forever, even though this is not an end times uh, message on that thing. So there we are. That is the the, the reading. There's correction that's going to happen. There's redemption that's going to happen. There's going to be a new perspective on everything, and it's it's much needed, and it's much needed, I think, even for our for us today to take that new perspective and look at things uh, in a in a different light. So I think that will wrap our discussion up for this week. Next week we will be looking at Jeremiah chapters 32 through 37. So while you are waiting for that, remember you can reach out to us at attbpodcast at theadventure.org. Search us up on Facebook. Remember to share the podcast with your friends and family and neighbors and subscribe to the podcast so that we can reach you in your feed each and every week. And we look forward to talking to you next week. Thanks for listening.